Hello and welcome to another episode of Boundless Body Radio. I'm your host, Casey Ruff, and today we have another excellent guest to introduce to you now. Dr. Ted Naiman is a board-certified family medicine physician who practices at the Virginia Mason Medical Center in Seattle, Washington. Dr. Naiman first learned about the low-carbohydrate diet when he was an intern. He learned about the way of eating from a patient who reversed the ill effect of his type 2 diabetes with the Atkins diet. Dr. Naiman has been using diets that focus on protein with great success ever since, and leverages diet to help his patients and followers improve their health. He wrote the fantastic book, The P.E. Diet, along with Will Schufelt, who was and literally is one of the Power Rangers. Dr. Naiman shares much of his content for free on social media, and it's all very well done. He lives with his wife and daughter, he loves Ultimate Frisbee, and apparently he is an excellent bass player. That's pretty cool. Dr. Ted Naiman, it's an absolute honor to welcome you to the show. Wow, man. Thanks a lot. Thanks for having me. Good to talk to you. Absolutely. When you were choosing a nutrition expert to write a book with you, was was having that person be a superhero pretty high up on the list of your priorities? It, it basically, it just it had to be a Power Ranger uh, and the red one. The red that. one. So, yeah, that was... <laughs> You know, I wasn't that picky. I didn't really have any other criteria, just pretty much that. <laughs> That's awesome. The red one was always my favorite, just for the record. <laughs> yeah, uh, um, exactly. Exactly. It's really important. So I came across your content a few years ago, and I remember really, really liking it. But then I realized at the end of the podcast, you answered the final question. I realized I I got to talk to this guy someday because they, they concluded the podcast with, you know, tell us oh, every successful person has a morning routine what is your morning routine? And you were like, look, like, I I wish I could meditate for three hours and journal for, you know, 30 minutes and have my gratitude journal and do my yoga and everything. But I am, I, I stay up a little too late. I watch Netflix like everybody else. I drag my ass to the coffee pot. Like I got to get to work. I, that's just so genuine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that it's true, man. I've got none of that crap going on. My morning routine is a joke. It's just like <laughs> gallons of coffee and first patients at 7 a.m. And I just like the, I don't know where the gratitude journaling is going to fit in there. <laughs> I love that. You have a really interesting journey and background from where you came from to where you ended up to end up being one of the most balanced people I've ever come across in the nutrition world. And I'd love to talk about your journey and why you decided to be a doctor and the things that influenced your work today. Oh yeah. Okay, cool. Um, well, I, I do come at it from a little bit different angle because I got an engineering degree. Uh, I got a degree in mechanical engineering and I, uh, yeah, I really wanted to be in aerospace or some sort of engineering. So I, I I look at all this from, uh, almost a mechanical engineering lens, which could be good or bad. (laughs) I think it's so helpful. Um, But then I, you know, I couldn't, I struggled to get a job. And uh, in engineering, so uh, after a bunch of Boeing layoffs and the market got flooded with mechanical engineers, I couldn't really find a job. I decided I was going to go back to school. Med school was really just on a whim. I just really applied like the very last day you could. And uh, somehow, you know, found myself in medical school. It's not like something I really always wanted to do. And uh, I I think that I've... uh, just always been really interested in diet and health from the beginning. And so for the past 20 years, I've just really been researching anything I could find in the primary medical literature on diet and health. And I've just been really geeked out on that. And uh, somewhere along the line, I 
went through basically every diet religion you could have and uh, kind of ended up where I'm at now. Hmm. Well, it's a very balanced approach and, and going through the medical, or I'm sorry, the nutrition literature is no easy task. I mean, I think, I think Peter Atia used this term, um, in one of his recent podcasts, the further you get from the shore, the deeper the water gets. I mean, there's, that's a really tough place to find medical, medical literature. Yeah. Yeah. It's quite uh, Byzantine. It's a little tricky. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. Um, so I, I didn't know that you didn't necessarily grow up wanting to be a doctor. So that's very interesting. And in the introduction, we mentioned that as an intern, you kind of found this low carbohydrate diet, which was different than what you were, you know, doing as you were, as you were brought up. Is that correct? Right. Yeah, correct. I, I was raised a vegetarian and sort of like a religious vegetarian. It was very low fat. Uh, so I would say I, for most of my um, early life, I was sort of religiously low fat and low cholesterol and vegetarian and that sort of dietary religion. And then I really got introduced to low carb by one of my patients when I was an intern about 20 years ago. And I was definitely religiously low carb for a very long time. And I've, I've actually just like slowly fallen through all of the diet religions, um, including uh, paleo, which I was, you know, devoutly religious about for a while and even keto. And it basically, uh, <clears throat> what I've realized is that every single one of these diet religions is totally right about something. And then maybe not so right about some other things. And if you kind of just suck out all the right parts from all of them and leave the dogma and the non-helpful parts behind, uh, you find out that they're all really kind of doing the same sort of thing uh, in just different ways. And you can harvest all the good parts, leave behind all the bad and cobble together, uh, you know, the optimal approach for you. And it, and that's kind of how I came up with this crazy book that Schufelt and I wrote. Hmm. Well, I'd like to talk about that before we get into, you know, some of the macronutrients and, and try to make this a little bit more simple for people so that they can learn how to construct their diet. Let's talk about the concept behind your book, because I think it's so it's it's so well done and well said, and it makes it really easy to understand. It makes it easy for other people to understand. So let's talk about that concept, the PE concept. Got it. Okay. Well, thank you very much. And so basically what I did is I zoomed way, 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 way out to look at what the heck eating even actually is, right? So humans are animals and animals are only alive because they constantly ingest other living organisms. So we just eat other living things for energy and protein and minerals and all the stuff that we need to build our bodies. But what's really at the base of all food for all animals is plants. So plants create all food for all animals. They create food for themselves. They're what we're called autotrophs. So plants make all their own food. They make all the food for animals. And they're specifically doing two things. They are collecting solar energy and converting it into chemical energy, just in the form of high energy carbon, carbon and carbon hydrogen bonds and carbohydrates and fats. So carbs and fats are just three elements, carbon, hydrogen, and oxygen chained together with these high energy bonds. And then humans store these carbs and fats and break apart these bonds in our mitochondria. And that's how we get every single bit of energy to power every single thing we do to be alive. So we've got dietary energy, which is just solar energy stored as carbs and fats in these bonds between carbon, hydrogen, and oxygen. And then we have a very specifically separate thing that plants do, and that is sucking up minerals out of soil 
and uh, primi- primarily nitrogen to make protein. Protein is different from non-protein energy. Protein has nitrogen in it and other minerals or other uh, a dozen or so minerals that are essential to life and plants provide all of this by sucking up out of the soil. So you can kind of look at all of your food and divide it into two categories. There's protein and minerals, which come from soil and is predominantly nitrogen. And then there's uh, non-protein energy, which is all just carbon, hydrogen, and oxygen chained together as carbs and fats. And so by zooming way out and looking at your diet in terms of protein versus energy, you can already sort of see how there's a little bit of a divide there. <clears throat> and then what ends up happening is that over the past you know, 10,000 years since we invented agriculture, humans have just figured out how to provide more and more energy in our diet, right? It was, when we were hunter-gatherers, it was pretty easy to get protein. You went out and just killed an animal and ate the whole thing. And you got a bunch of protein, but this animal might have already been starving for energy itself. And you're starving for energy and you're trying to add more energy to your diet any way you can. And so we invented agriculture as a way of increasing the energy in our diet. We figured out, hey, if we grow all these starchy carb crops, you know, all of your grains, we have this ready supply of carbohydrate energy that we can dump into our diet. Or if we, um, if we protect animals and keep them in a safe place their whole lives and feed them really well, they get fatter and fatter. We can add energy to our diet in the form of animal fat, right? So we've, you know, we domesticated animals, made them fatter, uh, invented dairy and consuming milk. We um, grew all these grain crops. We just figured out how to add more and more energy to the human food supply. And then with the industrial revolution, we figured out, oh, hey, you can just suck all the carbs right out of something and just have a giant pile of sugar or flour. It's just 100% pure dietary energy, non-protein energy, right? You can also just suck all the oil out of plant foods like industrial seed oils or just suck all the fat out of an animal, you know, with like bacon and lard and uh, heavy cream. And we figured out, you know, we can refine these carbs, refine these fats, dump them in the human food supply. They got cheaper and cheaper and more and more ubiquitous and an infinite shelf life. And what you end up with is humans went from about 33% protein, uh, 33% of calories from protein when we were hunter-gatherers down to about 12.5% of our calories are protein now in the standard American diet. And all of these refined carbs and fats got dumped into the human food supply and created our global epidemics of diabetes and metabolic syndrome. And they do this specifically two ways. Number one, all of these refined carbs and refined fats dilute out protein and minerals in the food supply. So you literally have to eat more calories just to get enough protein and minerals to not be hungry. So the satiety per calorie is way, way lower now. The other thing that happens is high energy density carbs and fats together is something you don't really ever find in nature. And it massively drives overeating in omnivore mammals because it's so rewarding on a brain level. You get such a dopamine spike from pizza and donuts and candy bars and anything that's high energy density carbs and fats together. So basically refined carbs, refined fats, it's all pure non-dietary energy, non-protein energy, sorry. And it got dumped in the food supply. And now everybody has to overeat calories to not be hungry and satiety per calorie is really low. And so 
the whole point of this PE diet is to zoom way out and look at your diet from this protein versus non-protein energy standpoint, and then try to target the protein side a little harder so you get higher satiety per calorie and you automatically eat less. It turns out that there's this protein leverage phenomenon where the higher the protein percentage, the food that uh, most uh, mammals eat, the less they're going to naturally eat. You just automatically eat less when the protein percent is higher because you have higher satiety per calorie. And so that's that's kind of the big picture, right? It's like zoom way out, think about what eating even is, divide it into protein versus non-protein energy, realize that uh, all of our problems come from dumping in all these refined carbs and refined fats and just pure energies into the food supply, and then go out of your way to try to kind of reverse that trend, if you know what I mean. Mm. So is this maybe the reason why I crack open a bag of potato chips and never on my fourth bite have I said like, whew, that's, that was great. That was great. I'm stuffed. I can go go do anything. I've got great energy. I'm totally full and satiated. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, exactly. It's like, okay, you know, your, your 10 ounce bag of potato chips, um, it weighs almost nothing. And it's just basically dehydrated um, carbs, refined carb, refined fat. Uh, you eat that thing, it's 1600 calories and you're hungry in like three hours. You, you might even be a little bit hungrier than before you even had the potato chips um, versus you'd have to eat, you know, 20 eggs to get the same number of calories, wow. you know, and, and, you know, if you eat 20 eggs, you're not hungry probably for the rest of your life. Like you're <laughs> literally never going to be hungry. You might not even physically be able to do it. Yeah, and that's kind of how this works. It's like, satiety per calorie is everything and the hard-boiled egg has this crazy high satiety per calorie and your potato chips uh have horrifically low satiety per calorie in fact it's one uh because it's uh you really improve satiety per calorie with protein, fiber, and water. And since potato chips have no protein, no fiber, and no water, and they're dehydrated, um, it's actually the number one food most associated with human obesity is the potato chip. And the reason is because it's totally devoid of protein, fiber, and water, all the things that would improve satiety per calorie. So these dehydrated carbs and fats together are the absolute worst for fat gain. Absolutely. You made me think of the scene from Cool Hand Luke. Remember that? No man can eat 50 eggs and he tries to eat 50 <laughs> eggs in an hour and just barely gets the last one down. <laughs> Great yeah. movie. I got to watch that tonight. Um, when I was back at the gym, we would sit down with people and kind of explain nutrition. And we had a little handout that I would use that I found to be really helpful. And it was basically all the different components of a meal that you could mix together to have a healthy meal and thus a healthy diet. <clears throat> and so this would be basically all the macronutrients. And there were four different categories. Um, there was protein, there was fruits and vegetables, there was carbohydrates that said like starchy carbohydrates, and then there was fat and it said healthy fat. So what we would do is tell people like if you put all these things together and do this like 80% of the time, probably you're going to be pretty healthy and happy. If you want specific results, now you can make some adjustments, pull some levers, change some of these things to get specific results. You know, if you want to lose weight, maybe you could do this. If you want to gain muscle, maybe you could do this. And, and you could change those things and manipulate them to get a desired outcome. And it was really helpful to explain what things do, but also what things 
maybe don't do because I see people expecting something, but they're they're eating something that could never give them the effect that they want. And this paper would start out with protein. So I'd love to just kind of talk about protein. Why is protein important? It's it's the biggest, most important thing in your book. You mentioned the satiety. You mentioned what we use protein for. But what what sources of protein are your favorite? Why why do we need them in the diet? Gotcha. Okay. Well, protein. First of all, protein is the the thing that you have the biggest need for every day in terms of a macronutrient. So most of us have enough energy calories in our body to live for a couple months without eating any energy at all. But protein, you have this very real turnover daily. And if you're not eating protein, you're going to break down your lean mass, which you really, really, really don't want to do. So protein is your biggest need on a daily basis. It's also the most satiating macronutrient by a very wide margin. So if you're going to eat anything, make it protein. You have to eat protein. And, and you can literally just scale up protein percentage and make pretty much any omnivore mammal uh, thinner and thinner and thinner. If you get protein to 50% of calories, you're just going to get uh, in an animal model, you're going to get an animal whose phenotype has the very highest lean mass and the very lowest fat mass. And the exact same thing happens to bodybuilders. You know, most of your elite bodybuilders are, are, you know, getting their protein percent of calories up to 40, probably 50%, maybe even temporarily slightly higher than that. And you just automatically get uh, the highest lean mass at the lowest fat mass. So this protein and protein percentage is probably the biggest deal of all, in my opinion. And it seems to be the biggest lever you can pull when it comes to improving body composition. Because what everybody really, really wants, whether they know it or not, in terms of body composition, is the highest lean mass they can achieve at the lowest fat mass. And that is accomplished by increasing the protein percentage of your calories, quite honestly. It's just as simple as that. Um, everything else really fades into the background. Um, so protein is definitely primary. And the higher the percentage, the better your body composition outcomes are going to be within reason. You cannot eat 100 um, percent protein, but it's definitely on a sort of a scale. You know what I mean? It's kind of on a spectrum um, in terms of my favorite proteins. Well, you know, we know from uh, protein digestibility uh, studies that animal protein is superior to plant protein. It's more complete. Uh, you can really talk to any vegan bodybuilder who's using plant protein supplements, and they'll tell you that you have to eat more plant protein to get the same anabolism that you would from animal protein. So, you know, like egg and dairy proteins have very, very high um digestibility and availability scores and a plant protein you might literally have to eat 1.5x as much grams of a plant protein to equal the aminos and animal protein so it's just it is definitely inferior you can accomplish this with plant protein you just have to eat even more of it and it's even more difficult because the protein percentage of plant foods is inherently lower to start with um the, and the reason this happens is is bioaccumulation, right? So like grass is growing and it has roots and it can suck some nitrogen out of the soil, but it's very limited by its root system. So it can only get so much nitrogen in its tissues and the nitrogen is going to be fairly low. Now a cow comes along and just walks all over the place and eats like, you know, 100,000 blades of grass 
and it bioaccumulates all this nitrogen and concentrates it. So the amount of nitrogen and protein and minerals in the cow is going to be much, much higher than the grass just to uh, due to bioaccumulation and biomagnification, kind of the way you get more mercury in bigger predatory ocean fish as you go up the food chain. Great you know point. what I mean? You bioaccumulate mercury just like you would something that you actually wanted, like nitrogen. So, yeah, my favorite proteins, honestly, are animal, and there's some, uh, there are animals that were eating what they were supposed to be eating. So like grass-fed uh, ruminants are awesome. Uh, pastured eggs are awesome. Wild-caught seafood is awesome. Uh, dairy, that's uh, where the protein's magnified by either being low-carb, low-fat, fermented, or all the above is really awesome as well. So my favorite proteins are basically grass-fed ruminants, wild-caught seafood, pastured eggs and um some sort of fermented low carb and low fat dairy that's awesome very well explained you well we're talking about protein first but you recommend literally eating protein first is that correct that, that is absolutely correct right 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 so if you're hungry right now you don't really know exactly what you're hungry for now humans have an appetite for you know basically four specific things, protein, carbohydrate, fat, and then minerals, uh, most notably sodium and calcium. So if you're hungry right now, you don't really know what you're hungry for. You know, hunger is a very nonspecific signal. It's like, okay, you need to ingest more of something for some reason. You don't know what, you don't know why, you're just hungry, right? So if you go way out of your way to target the hell out of protein and minerals and you eat something first that's tons of protein and tons of minerals and you eat all of this and you hit your nutrient target for these protein minerals uh then what you're left with any hunger you're left with you know is more of an energy hunger and you might want to eat some additional carbohydrate fat or ideally a little bit of both but you're in a much better place to know how much non-protein energy to eat. So I literally recommend eating protein first. That's exactly what we're recommending in the PE diet. As you target this protein first, you front load all of this protein, and then you're in a much better place to know if you even really need to eat any energy. If you're really over fat, you might not need to eat a lot of energy. Mm. Yeah, that's a really good point. So protein is super important. It's essential to the diet. It helps us with our lean mass. I'm glad you said lean mass and not just muscle mass because that's what everybody thinks of. But there's a lot more to lean mass than just muscle. Um, focus on animal proteins. The higher quality, the better. That's all really good. We're on board. What is your recommendation for amount? So for, for, for me, bare minimum protein goal for everybody is a gram per pound of ideal body weight. So not, not what you weigh, not what your lean mass is, not any sort of complicated formulas or anything. It's just like, what is the reference weight for your height and gender? Like what should you weigh? And then I would eat a gram per pound. So like I'm five foot 10 and reference ideal body weight for a five foot 10 male is 160 pounds. So like for me, a bare minimum would be 160 grams of protein a, per day. Even if I'm, if I'm underweight and I only weigh 130, I would still have 160 as a target. Even if I'm hugely overweight and I'm 400 pounds, I would still have this 160 as a baseline 
target for everyone. That's what I'm recommending in the book, a gram per pound of ideal body weight. Perfect. That's exactly the same recommendation that I use for my people. That's, that's perfect. And, and you kind of have to clarify for some people, like it's just really to say, like, if you're 400 pounds, no, you don't necessarily need to eat 400 grams of protein, but you should be somewhere in that ballpark of, of one gram a pound of protein per ideal body weight. So perfect. I love that. Okay, now it's time to battle. We're going to go to the energy side of things, and there's <laughs> a war between low fat and low carb. So let's battle. <laughs> Got it. Why? Wow, man. How did we end up in this place where we see people on the low carb side that are seeing success, and they're fighting with people on the low fat side, and they're seeing success? Got it. Okay, so there's this eternal, uh, permanent low carb versus low fat war, and it's just everywhere it's always been everywhere it will always be everywhere we're surrounded by the low carb versus low fat war and it's really just split right down the middle you have all these people who reduce the carbs in their diet and boom they just lost a ton of weight they radically improve their body composition radically improve their health anything that improves when your insulin sensitivity goes up got better. So you're basically hearing just miraculous tales of people curing their diabetes, curing their autoimmune disease, um, and just effortlessly losing all this weight, right? And they're just religious about it now. They're like, oh my God, I cut the carbs and look what happened. So this has to be the way. And then they take it to the next extreme, like, okay, <clears throat> if eating less carbs is awesome, then I'm going to take that to the conclusion, I'm going to eat no carbs. I'm going to go from 20 grams of carbs a day, still eating a salad to absolutely zero. I'm going to be a pure carnivore. I'm never going to eat a plant food again. And you just try to get your carbs all the way to zero or negative if you can. And then on the flip side, you have all these people who went on like a low fat diet and they just lost a billion pounds and they cure their diabetes and they feel awesome and every autoimmune condition they have goes away. And these people naturally gravitate towards a plant-based diet because the easiest way to be really, really low fat and still get enough protein to be fine, you know, is to go on this sort of plant-based diet. So you automatically have the low carb people gravitating towards animal-based diets and you automatically have the, the low fat people go towards plant-based diets. And that's because in the animal world, protein is accompanied by fat. And in the plant world, protein is accompanied by carbs. So it's natural that both of these groups are seeking protein, whether they know it or not. And then if you're low fat, you're stuck with plant proteins and a higher carb diet. And if you're low carb, you're stuck with animal proteins and a higher fat diet. And so what ends up happening, each group finds this success, realizes this has to be the way, and then just goes completely religious about it and, and as extreme as possible. And on the low-fat plant-based side, you get like, you know, extremism like Dr. McDougal, where you should never eat nuts because they have some fat in them. And you just want to just load up on starch and just absolutely never use oil or anything like that. And so the, the vegans and the carnivores are just the ultra extreme final end destination of extreme low fat and extreme low carb. And the reality is both of these groups are totally right. 
like completely correct. Um, just by even halfway reducing your refined carb intake, you're going to immediately increase satiety per calorie. You're going to effortlessly eat less, lose weight, get leaner, improve body composition. And as your insulin goes down, you're going to improve all your health parameters, all your autoimmune diseases are going to get better. Any sort of metabolic things going to get better. Same thing happens when you go low fat. If you just start excluding these refined dietary fats that have very poor satiety per calorie, like butter and heavy cream and oil and things like that, you're just going to immediately eat less calories. You're going to immediately get leaner and you're going to immediately upgrade all these health parameters. Uh, now, once you figure out, so what, what the PE diet does it kind of opens people's eyes to the fact that both sides are 100% correct and you can meld them together and mix and match and just siphon off the best of both possible worlds and get truly the best body composition and health without ever having to be religiously low carb and religiously low fat because you're a little bit of both. And it just frees you up from a lot of religious dogma. And you basically like lift yourself up above the low carb versus low fat war. And you can just kind of look down on it with kind of, you know, just, either sadness or amusement, depending on your temperament. But you you're, you feel like you've transcended low carb versus low fat once you unlock all of this PE stuff. Mm. Yeah, that's super interesting. I love that approach. I, you know, I find myself more on the low carbohydrate side myself. That's what has worked for me. It seems to be a little easier for, for me and my clients. But I like to look at it as like, I ride a Trek mountain bike. That doesn't mean that if you're riding a Santa Cruz that you suck at whatever you thought, like, yeah, we should all acknowledge that there's different ways that you can do this and, and everybody can have a preference and see what works for them and, and, and not be so, like you said, like religious dogmatic about it. Um, I'd like to talk about this energy piece. Um, so we're talking about the fat and the carbohydrates. Let's start with carbohydrates. Tell me, you, you mentioned mostly, you know, the carbohydrates come from plants. Let's, let's talk about the different types of carbohydrates that you can consume. Gotcha. Well, there's, so basically all of your carbohydrates um, that are, so there's fiber, right? Which is fiber uh, has extremely high satiety per calorie, which is why I like it. And, and the PE diet, you're basically going out of your way to have a higher percentage of your carbohydrate be from fiber. But when you're looking at non-fiber carbohydrate, um, it's all really just broken down into these monosaccharides like glucose and fructose, right? So it almost doesn't matter. All of your non-fiber carbs are broken down into simple monosaccharides. And as long as your quantity is not insane, there's not a huge dramatic difference between them. So basically for me, when we're talking about carbohydrate, it really just comes down to satiety per calorie. So you, you want to ask how much protein and fiber am I getting along with my carbohydrate? Mm, so you're, you're kind of wanting to eat low carb carbs, if you know what I mean. So like, <clears throat> for example, a high carb carb would be just like sugar, right? So <laughs> sugar uh, has a hundred grams of carbs per hundred grams of sugar. That's, that's garbage, right? It, you're just getting carbs and things like uh, wheat flour and cornflakes and 
uh, you know, these are super low satiety per calorie. So cornflakes is like 85 grams of carbs per 100 grams of cornflakes. It's just atrocious. Wow. But then way, way down on the low carb carb side, right? This is what you're looking for. You're looking for low carb carbs. So like a potato, a potato is only 15 grams of carbs per 100 gram of potato versus you know, 100 grams of carbs per 100 grams of sugar. So you're eating just way more weight and volume of food, way more cellular components, way more protein, way more fiber. You know, an apple is is 10 grams of uh, net carbs per 100 grams of apples. So you're getting all of this uh, fiber and water and satiety per calorie. You know, like, like raspberries is probably my favorite fruit on earth. And it's five grams of carbs per 100 grams of raspberries. I mean, you can eat, if you want, you can literally eat five pounds of raspberries and it's only 100 net grams of carbs. Wow. I mean, that's that's stupid. That's insane. That's like, it's like 13 cups of raspberries is 100 grams of net carbs. So you're just eating this massive quantity of food. If you're, you know, if you're a, but if you don't eat a lot of carbs and you're a low carb person, and then you try to eat a hundred net grams of carbs from raspberries, the satiety per calorie you get is just, it's just off the charts. It's like ridiculous. Like you probably can't even eat that much. And so that's what I like to do with carbohydrate is eat these low carb carbs where the, your satiety per calorie is obscenely high instead of the high carb carbs, which is basically sugar and flour and grains and refined grains are just garbage. It's horrible. You could basically run your whole metabolism. Your whole basal metabolic rate could be met with a half a cup of sugar and a half a cup of oil. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Like that's your calories for the day. If you're just sitting on the couch and how hungry are you going to be, you know, in an hour or starving. two, you're just going to be starving. Oh, Cause yeah. you know, most humans eat, you know, four pounds of food a day or five sometimes. And this is just not going to do it. Right. So, so when it comes to carbs, for me, it's all about eating the low carb carbs. You find the carbs with the highest protein or fiber or water or all three and then you eat the hell out of those, and it actually ends up being very low net carbs, but your satiety per calories through the roof. It's it's really the same thing. Well, I don't want to get ahead of you here, but this fat works the same way. No, sure, that's great. Uh, we'll go there next for sure. Um, where you mentioned net carbs, so that's your you know total carbohydrate subtract fiber. Where do you generally like to see most people as far as a recommendation for the amount? Gotcha. So, so in the book and in general, I'm recommending most people eat about a hundred grams of net carbs a day. And, uh, this is, you know, because the reason for a hundred grams is because your liver basically holds a hundred grams of glycogen and it slowly depletes over about a 24 hour period. So every 24 hours, you're going to deplete about a hundred grams of glucose from your liver. And if you don't replace that, I mean, you don't have to. Nobody ever has to eat any carbohydrate at all. You can easily eat no carbs at all. But two things happen when you do that. Well, a lot of stuff happens when you do that. But a couple specific things happen when you do that. Number one, you immediately have to make more glucose every day from protein. So you're chewing up a lot more protein. And you better be eating even way, way, way more protein than you were before 
if you're trying to exist in a zero carb state. And nobody's eating enough protein to start with, let alone enough protein to not eat any carbs and make their 100 grams of glucose out of protein, if you know what I mean. Mm, interesting. So you you just radically in, uh, raised your protein requirement, which nobody was meeting to freaking begin with. So it's not that great an idea. Um, so basically what happens is if you restrict that 100 grams of carbs a day, um, your body has to manufacture that glucose mostly out of protein. Your protein requirement goes up. You're probably not eating that protein to begin with. And then in order to support the gluconeogenesis, you have things like cortisol going up and sympathetic nervous system going up, uh, adrenaline, epinephrine, norepinephrine, all these uh, uh, adrenal gland hormones go up to help you kind of make this glucose to survive. It's like a form of exercise. It's a little bit of this is good for you, but <clears throat> if you're doing that all day, every day, all the time, it's probably not optimal. I don't think zero forever is optimal carbohydrate intake. And then another thing happens because humans have a very specific appetite for carbohydrate. You have this sort of weird carb hunger that you can't alleviate with the other macros. So I see people eating absolutely no carbs at all who are just kind of a little bit hungry all the time. And they're struggling to, uh, you know, get rid of that hunger, no matter how much protein or fat they eat. And they might end up overeating calories, just trying to get past that. And I've had people, you know, literally get fatter and more diabetic on a zero carb pure mm. keto diet. So I don't think zero is optimal on the carb side. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, that's great. Let's move over to fat. And we're talking about a few different things here. So one of the things that I used to do is hook people up to metabolic analyzers to analyze the oxygen and carbon dioxide that they would breathe in and out. And we could show them at different levels of intensity of their exercise, whether they would be burning more fat or more carbohydrates. And then we had a little graph that showed how they stored those two fuel sources, fat and carbohydrates. And you mentioned storing carbohydrates in the liver. You can also store carbohydrates in the muscle tissue. That's pretty much about it. And so that the number, we would show a graph of a dude that would have carbohydrate in calories. And if you were a male, it would assume that it would be about 2,000 calories of carbohydrates that you could even store. And if you're a female, it's probably a little less since you have a little bit less muscle mass. And then it would show how many calories of fat the person would store. And this is where we'd get people get really wide-eyed. If they had a high weight and high body fat number, they would be looking at hundreds and hundreds of thousands of calories of fat that they can store. So tell us a little bit about, you know, our fat storage, why we have it, why it's there, what we can use it for, and also fat in the diet. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. All right. So... <clears throat> Basically, you're totally right. Humans have very limited carbohydrate store, um, you know, 100 grams in your liver, maybe 300, 400 grams in your muscle. That's about it. That's, you know, your 2000 calories for a male, maybe 1600 for a female. It's just not a lot. It's 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 less than a day's supply of calories that you can store as glucose. So fat is supposed to be the primary fuel that your body runs off of. You know, we're supposed to be, we have this chemical battery. We're basically battery powered. We carry around our energy supply and you're supposed to run off of that most of the time. And then just every once in a while, refuel by eating food. And 
a lot of people, I think, struggle with this fat adaptation because they're just constantly eating carbs. Like your average American eats 300 grams of carbs. They're eating carbs every two hours in a 16-hour eating window. So it's like you eat carbs eight times a day every two hours for 16 hours, and you're just displacing a lot of fat oxidation. And then if you never do any exercise, you get to this point where you're really glucose dependent and you feel your blood sugar going up and down and you're just grazing on carbs all day long to respond to that. And that's really not a great place to be, which is why I like anything that improves fat oxidation. And that could be a little bit of intermittent fasting or a little bit of carb restriction or any kind of exercise, uh, uh, cardio of any intensity, all of this stuff improves fat oxidation. You want to be doing a little bit of all of it to improve, um, fat oxidation. So, so I'm, I'm really there with you on people need to get more fat adapted and they need to tap into that. And there's multiple modalities for that. And you really want to be doing a little of all of them. So it's like a little bit low carb and a little bit of cardio, a little bit of resistance exercise and a little bit of intermittent fasting and you channel those together and your fat adaptation goes way up. And and then in terms of dietary fat, I feel the same way about fat that I do about carbs. You want to eat low fat fats, right? And it, again, it really comes down to satiety per calorie of fat and refinement of fat. So like oil is the absolute worst thing on the planet. A hundred grams of oil is a hundred grams of fat. And the satiety per calorie is horrible, right? It's absolutely terrible. Uh, butter is not much better, you know, um, Uh, 100 grams of butter is 81 grams of fat, very, very low in protein, uh, micronutrients, satiety per calorie is terrible. But then you look way, way down on the low fat fats, right? You want to be eating low fat fats like an avocado. 100 grams of avocado is only 15 grams of fat. This is a low fat fat. You get way better satiety because of the fiber and the water and the other micronutrients and the cellular components. You've got a a hard-boiled egg, which is 100 grams of egg is only 10 grams of fat. This is a low-fat fat, right? And it has awesome satiety per calorie thanks to protein and all of these other uh, things that are in it. Or like salmon. Salmon is, you know, salmon is a fatty fish, but 100 grams of salmon is only 5 grams of fat. So this is a low-fat fat. It's got so much protein and water and minerals that... It's a fatty food, but it's low fat. You know what I mean? Interesting. So, so like, like your vegan's not going to eat, your low fat vegan is never going to eat salmon because it's this fatty, oily fish, but it's only five grams of fat per 100 grams of salmon. This is a low fat fat. You want to be eating the hell out of it. And then you've got your low carb keto people who are not eating, you know, an apple because it's a carb. Oh, apples are, you know, bread for sugar and there it's just like nature's candy but an apple is only 10 grams of carbs per 100 grams of apples so this is actually an incredible way to get your carbohydrate in this tidy per calorie is really good and even better is a lower sugar fruit like strawberries or raspberries which is you know uh, again like five grams of carbs per 100 grams of raspberry which is ridiculous so so the the low carb people did the right thing by throwing out refined carbs like sugar and flour, but they did the wrong thing by throwing out the low carb carbs that you should be eating like low sugar fruit. The low fat people did the right thing by throwing out butter and oil, which is horrible. It's a tidy per calorie. 
because of their refinement, but they did the wrong thing by throwing out your low fat fats, which are amazing, like eggs and salmon. So it's, uh, you know, that's where you want to be on this PE diet where you're picking and choosing. You're, you're throwing out the high fat fats and the high carb carbs, but you're keeping the low fat fats and the low carb carbs. I know that's a little confusing, but no, that makes a lot of sense. It's, it's, it's all just so simple. It choose real foods. If, if anybody's confused about where these foods fall on a scale, they should go and find your calculator. Cause that is extremely well done. That was such a cool tool. You can punch in different amounts that you're looking for. You can also type in specific foods and see where they fall on the PE scale. Um, so that's a fantastic resource, and we will definitely link to that in the show notes. Um, oh, yeah. I would check out uh, p2eq.com, the p2eq.com. That's Protein to Energy Quotient. Um, or I have another one at p2er.com, and that's just a protein energy ratio in grams. And these, I think, are really visually uh, super useful for people. Uh, I agree. So we can do that. We can eat a variety of different foods. We're looking for, you know, kind of almost equal amounts from all three of the macronutrients. We can also do things on the other end to help us oxidate fat, oxidize, excuse me, fat better. So we could do some light intermittent fasting. Maybe we can skip a meal, skip breakfast here and there. Maybe we can go exercise. We can do resistance training. Cardio is okay too. Like it's all just so balanced. And when you realize what the goal is, it makes it really easy to make practical decisions about how you want to live your life. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, honestly, it's so like <clears throat> brain dead simple. It's almost embarrassing. Like I'm literally embarrassed at how basic and easy it all is, but there's so much information out there. It's really hard to know what to do because, you know, everyone's like, Oh, you need to be plant-based or, you know, it's, it's just, there's, there's uh, the muddy, uh, muddy of the waters from all the animal versus plants and low carb versus low fat. And you really want to transcend all of that. Yeah, that's so great. We get this question all the time. So I'll ask you also, is there any different way that a man should be eating versus a female? Not at all. Like, I really, really don't think any of this is specific to gender. <clears throat> I really don't. I don't, I don't, I never recommend something specific for women that I don't specifically recommend for men. It's basically the same. Um, I, I really don't differentiate. There's, there's almost nothing in the book that's, oh, this is what you do if you're a man. And this is what you do if you're a woman. No, absolutely not. Mm, that's great. I've heard you answer this question before. So I want you to answer it again now, because again, this is so simple and practical. What is your number one favorite assessment to use? Think blood, think scales, think measurements, you know, whatever technology you want could be wearable devices. What is your number one? If you could have one assessment, what would that one thing be to understand if somebody is healthy or not? That would definitely be waist circumference and maybe to be just a little bit more specific about it, a waist to height ratio. So if you measure your waist um, at the belly button, abdomen fully relaxed, ideally first thing in the morning before you've eaten something and have a food baby. Uh, so you basically measure your waist circumference. That should be less than half your height. And that's probably 
the easiest way to know how you're doing metabolically. The more over fat you are, the worse that ratio is going to get. And the leaner and healthier, more insulin sensitive you are, the better that ratio is going to be. And it's it just really beats out anything else you can measure like BMI or any specific blood test. Um, it does correlate almost perfectly with a fasting insulin level. Um, which is maybe useful on the blood side, but I, I, if I could only have one metric for sure, it would be a waist to height ratio. Yeah. That makes perfect sense. By proxy, your insulin would have to be low if you're not storing belly fat, correct? Like you, you, yeah, exactly. it would be nice to validate it with blood, but you really wouldn't need to at all. Correct. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. That's super interesting. We talked a little bit about fat adaptation and this is why sometimes, you know, we, we talked earlier about using different amounts of macronutrients to have different outcomes and those, those, you know, goals can modify over time. And so what you're doing today might not be exactly the same as what you're doing tomorrow. And so somebody coming from the standard American diet for a time, they may need to go like really low carb and a little bit higher fat so they can get off of the carbohydrates and, and become like we talked about, like more, more fat adapted. And, you know, that's not what that person maybe has to do for the rest of their life. I think the end goal should be for most people, what is called metabolic flexibility, meaning I store carbs, I store fat, I can eat carbs and I can eat fat. Now, sometimes I might need to burn the sugar that I have stored and, and I want that ability to run away from something or lift something really heavy. Sometimes I want to go on a 10 mile walk. And if I want to do that, well, I want to be able to access stored fat and burn that off. Then after I eat it, I want to have the ability to burn that too. And that's, I think the end goal for most people without them knowing it is just have the flexibility to burn all the fuels when you need them properly. Is that, is that accurate? Yeah, that's, that's totally correct. You want your body to be fully agnostic and be able to switch between carbs or fat without any difficulty whatsoever. And you, you, honestly, you, you really want the mental flexibility to be agnostic as well. And once your, your mindset and your body can both switch fuels on the fly, that's, I think, the final destination, honestly. So I totally agree with what you just said. Well, that was such an excellent um, summary of all the different macronutrients and how we can leverage those. Uh, really, thank you for that. It's very well explained. And, and like we said, just so simple. It's really doesn't have to be a head scratcher. It might not be easy, but it can be simple. Um, we, right. we, we have to talk to you about workouts um, and yours in particular. Sometimes I'll ask my guests um, to throw out the science. Like we didn't just talk about science for the last 50 minutes. We, you know, there's no science on any of this. Why don't we just look at our guests and see if they look healthy and then reverse engineer it and see what they do and just do those things. <laughs> and <laughs> Like your workouts, first of all, you're in incredible shape. Your fitness levels are super, super high. Your workouts are awesome. And I think the hardest thing is you're spending hours and hours in the gym every single day to achieve those results. Is that correct? <laughs> no, <laughs> I honestly think every, most people would cry if they knew how little I worked out, like in just actual minutes. It's pretty, pretty sad. It's, it's, yeah, for me, it's all about intensity. So I'm, I'm splitting um, exercise very specifically and deliberately into two sides, resistance and cardio. And I don't really overlap the two. And w when I'm doing either one of them, I'm just trying to absolutely max out the intensity of effort with whatever I'm specifically doing. So like on the resistance side, I break everything down 
into basically just free human movements, pushing, pulling, or using the legs against gravity, which is like a squat type motion. And so I just do those one at a time. I crank the intensity up as absolutely high as I can stand and then some, and then I'm done. So I might spend two minutes doing pushing all the way to failure. Um, I might spend two minutes doing pulling all the way to failure. I might spend two minutes doing uh, squats all the way to failure. And then I'm done for the day. And then I switch to cardio late, maybe later on. And I'm just doing something at the highest intensity I possibly can until I literally have to stop and rest. And I do a couple cycles of that. And then I'm done there. And the whole thing is, you know, 15 minutes typically is a, the most I would spend working out. That's fantastic. I love that. I, you know, being a trainer for now 14 years, I have told myself for most of my life that I love working out. I really love to work out. And the longer I'm on this, you know, spinning rock in outer space, the more I realize, like, no, I don't. I don't like working out. I hate working out. <laughs> it's really hard. If you do it right, you should do your lifts to failure to create a hormonal response in your body that it needs to shuttle resources over to building muscle and connective tissue and bone density to be able to, to achieve that. You need to, you need to push yourself. And that's not very fun. And it's been really awesome to, you know, learn about a new paradigm and shift my training to, to focus on just, just doing a really intense lift to failure. And you don't need to spend a lot of time to do that, to elicit some really great results. I mean, that's pretty cool. You don't really need to spend a lot of time working out. You really don't. It's all about just producing a response. You're trying to get an adaptation to a stimulus. And as long as you just hammer that stimulus home and convince your body it almost died and has to be stronger tomorrow or you're going to die, uh, you can be in and out in just minutes. It's it's crazy. So, uh, you know, and the intensity variable is my absolute favorite. And I'm just really, really, really emphasizing that in the book. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, if you'd have gone back a year ago today and told me like, Hey, you, you know, you don't have access to these machines anymore. How are you going to be fit? I would have said, there's no way like, it's going to be very, very difficult. And having 2020 happen, like we just went outside with a very, very minimal amount of equipment, maybe some straps or some bands or something. And we can crush our clients on a set of monkey bars or something. Like <laughs> it's not that hard. You don't need that much to do it. Yep. You just need that. intention. Yeah. Yeah, just some gravity and body weight. You can crush anybody with these super simple body weight moves. That's awesome. And I see you like busting out single arm, perfect form push-ups with your dog chewing on a bone in the background. That's really awesome. <laughs> really convenient too. You don't you don't need you don't need a lot. Just just do something and do it with intent and get to failure. I really I really like that approach. What what did what did you have to adapt in 2020? What what changes have you personally had to go through and, and adapt to? Uh, I mean, really the only thing is video visits at work as a physician. I, we weren't doing any of those before. And so we just had to really spin that up pretty rapidly. And that's honestly the only thing, cause all, you know, all my workouts were already at home, almost no equipment, just a pull up bar that didn't change at all. Awesome. Uh, I was already cooking most of my own food. And so like a lot of things did not change for me to be honest, which is sad. No, I think it's awesome. I think it's great. <laughs> Just so many of our clients, like, you know, 
in, in March and April of 2020, they dusted off their home equipment and they didn't want to go out and they, they found ways to get creative. And it's been kind of fun, actually. It's just totally different. It's good you were, uh, are all set up for the pandemic. I wish you would have uh, told us, gave us some warning first. <laughs> <laughs> you are, are one of the most open-minded and considerate people in the nutrition sphere. And I, I have heard you say words like U shape curve or it depends or this is good, but this is also good so many different times in all of your content. How have you been able to stay so open-minded and accepting and when all of these, you know, battles over diet are raging? Uh, mostly by just making a bunch of mistakes and being religious in every camp, one after the other in the past. <laughs> so like, I think basically after being sucked into the dogma of every religion camp, there is one after the other. Uh, only, only then did I finally get the, like the insider wisdom or whatever you want to call it to realize, Oh, I've been like wrong over and over and over and over again. <laughs> and everybody out there is a little bit right about something and a little bit wrong about something else. And so you just really have to figure out, you know, what are people right about? What are they not so right about? And kind of just uh, go from there. You know what I mean? But uh, honestly, I think I only got to the place where I'm at by just being um, clueless and dogmatic and ridiculous over and over and over again. So it's, it's taken me a really long time. I, I think I am a little bit better than I used to be, but only because I was not that smart in the past. It's very humbling. I mean, this whole world, like we, we so much want to give you an easy answer to your question and we just don't have it. There's so much context and it is, it is challenging. We're, we really appreciate you and how you've been able to stay neutral and be so welcoming and you're an easy person to talk to. And I, I think the world needs more of that, especially now. What are you working on for the future? Oh yeah. Okay. So I'm working on an app uh, that's basically going to be like a protein versus energy app. Um, <clears throat> I, I, I think there's a, there's a, a lot of people are figuring this out, right? That all that really matters is protein and calories. And you, you have just tons of YouTubers now whose whole shtick is uh, you got a protein goal, a calorie limit, and that's all that matters. And it really doesn't matter where the carbs are, where the fat is. Um, it's all just non-protein energy. And so that's pretty much the whole message of the PD diet. And now I'm working on an app that'll just let you track your uh, nutrition daily and see where you're at on a protein versus energy um, scale. And I think that's uh, probably going to be more and more popular um, going forward. And it's, uh, it's honestly, to be perfectly honest, I think it's going to be uh, bad for a lot of the diet religions out there. Because when people realize that it just comes down to protein and calories, uh, there's not really a lot of point to being um, specifically dogmatically very low carb or very low fat. And when people realize that you can get just killer bodybuilder results out of protein calories without being religiously paleo or religiously keto or zealot anything. Uh, I think it's really going to take the wind out of the sails of some of these other diet religions. You know yeah. what I mean? And I'm warning people get, get ready for this because uh, people are out here getting just killer results 
only by focusing on protein and and total calories. It's basically protein versus energy. And that is uh, extremely successful. And so if your worldview of diet doesn't explain how that works, you really need to step back and take a look at the big picture and maybe even go back to the drawing board. And I am specifically talking to some of the carbohydrate insulin hypothesis people out there. Um, you know, if you're, if your view of obesity doesn't take into account these bodybuilders who are, um, effortlessly, you know, optimizing body composition just by f- focusing on protein percent and protein and calories and not really caring what their carb versus fat spread is, you really have to spend some time thinking about how it all really works. You know what I mean? Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Wow. What an awesome conversation. I've, I've learned a lot. I hope our listeners took away so much that they can do in their own life. I think you made it very simple and approachable for them. If you were to have our listeners have one simple thing that they could take away from this conversation, what would that one thing be? It would really just be the protein percent of your diet. Like if you can get protein to 30% of your calories, you're pretty much going to reverse every type two diabetic on earth. If you can get protein to 40% of your calories, you're going to probably optimize your body composition. If you can get protein to 50% of your calories, you're literally going to be a fitness model. It, 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 it really does scale up like that. Well, that's awesome. Where can people go to find your work? Uh, I mean, the, the best thing I've got is the book, the PE diet. And if you go to the PE diet.com, uh, you can pick up a copy, uh, it's also on, you know, iBooks and Kindle, and you can buy it from Amazon or just anywhere they sell books online. That is awesome. Dr. Ted Naiman, we so appreciate you and your work and the time you spent with us today and the time you've spent doing other shows. We get a lot out of those, and it's really helped us to stay more balanced and keep people healthy in a really simple way. Thank you so much. We very much are looking forward to your work in the future, and thank you for your time today to spend with us at Balanced Body Radio. Wow, man. Thanks a lot. I appreciate it. We really appreciate you. And this has been another episode of Boundless Body Radio.